gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp and Rachel Miller is my co-host and we're happy to be back after taking a few weeks off for our little summer break. I'm, I'm home from vacation and um, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, I don't think we've done something quite quite like this before, but it is a topic that comes up. Even It's even come up in the group um, periodically and Rachel and I have both been doing a lot of reading on it and and studying it so we thought it would be a good uh, topic and that is narcissism and I have a pastor friend who knows a lot about different personality types and there's you're often going to find some of these in the church in fact sometimes they're attracted to um, being religious leaders you'll find in, in your reading that's one thing or politicians we all can think of politicians <laughs> that are like this um, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about it, kind of, you know, what it is and how to recognize it, how to deal with it, um, things like that. So uh, I think we'll just start. Well, oh, let me say this, too. One of the things, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit, there is a um, an actual diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. Um, you know, we, there might be someone that just has some narcissistic tendencies, but there is actually... Um, a actual diagnosis that you'll find in psychology. So I guess we'll just start, Rachel, and you can kind of give us a narrow and broad definition of of narcissism. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. It's, it's really a, an important issue and a, a topic. There seems to be a lot more discussion about it in the last few years, especially between politics and religion and um, just a, a recognition of kind of a growing problem in society, uh, dealing with people with, with certain, um, I guess, behavioral 
uh, disorders and, and, and issues. And I guess, um, when you're talking about narcissism, as you said, there is, you know, the narcissistic personality disorder that is a diagnosis. So, you know, narrowly put, very strictly put, there is a, um, a diagnosis that some people can meet the criteria for that is narcissistic, narcissistic personality disorder in PD. And it includes uh, some things like um, the, a sense of self-importance that's like, they call it like grandiose sense of self-importance, um, a preoccupation with ideas of unlimited success or power or brilliance or beauty, like being the best at whatever, a belief that they're special and unique and in a way that it's unlike other people, a need for excessive admiration, a sense of entitlement, um, exploiting others, a lack of empathy, uh, envying others or believing that other people are, are jealous of them, and also a demonstration of arrogant or haughty behaviors and attitudes. And, you know, that's in the, if you look up the criteria, those are the things that you'll see. And, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting any of us, any of us go out and get the, the, the criteria and sit down and try to armchair diagnose people around us, celebrities, whatever. Uh, this is more about an, being aware of, of what some people may be like around you, being aware of what ways in which people may be uh, manipulating you or maybe manipulating situations around you. And so when we're talking about this today, we're, we're talking not just about you know, the narcissistic personality disorder, but much a, a broader understanding of, of people who are um, uh, manipulative, toxic, you know, hear the word, uh, malignant, uh, aggressive, uh, bullies, Right. One of the, the books, uh, that we've read that I recommend will, will have this, the link. So that's by a, a guy named George Simon. He talks about his character disturbed. So all of these ideas you get to, these are people who behave in certain ways that cause considerable harm and distress to those around them. And one of the things that, um, I saw in, that I read and, um, saw in, a video that I watched is that sometimes um, a narcissist can actually fake empathy. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see, depending, and we're going to talk about there's some different kinds of narcissists. Um, sometimes it's not easily recognizable. We'll talk later about covert versus overt. Um, but one of the things, reasons why this is important, and Rachel and I both knowing people like this in our own lives is because of the manipulation, mm -hmm. is sometimes you don't recognize it because they're so good at gaslighting. And making you think that you're the one that's the problem. Yeah. And, you know, I was going to say, I've seen a lot of um, articles and even books and people are talking about kind of this, this growing problem with narcissism, with um, entitlement, the lack of empathy. You see it in um, like all around us, right. In various relationships. So, I absolutely think this is something that we should be paying attention to. So why, why is it a problem? Well, it goes along with what you're saying, right? So this is, uh, George Simon talks about it, but you, you can look up, if you look up any kind of, um, you know, emotionally abusive, um, narcissism, 
entitlement. If you start looking up these search terms, you'll you'll find quite a few articles discussing the rise of of this uh, of these behavioral issues in our society. And one of the things that I thought in George Simon has two books that I recommend. One is called Character Disturbance, and the other is In Sheep's Clothing, when it talks about manipulative people. Um, it talks about how our modern psychology is really rooted or based in Freud and what Freud was understanding was about a, uh, takes place in, in Victorian society and what's going on in Victorian society. And so you have people who are so concerned with shame and guilt, they're extremely anxious or depressed. And uh, these are people who have traditionally gone to uh, counseling or therapy because they know there's a problem and they're concerned and they're not doing well, not handling things well. And so a lot of our understanding of psychology, a lot of our understanding of how people behave and why comes from these ideas about human nature. But the problem is that George Simon talks about is that, you know, there are people like that who are, he calls it neurotics, right? Which sounds kind of unkind, but he's just using it as a term of people who are so shame and, and guilt ridden that they're anxious and they're dealing with issues and they're, they're very concerned versus people who are, are character disturbed. And these are people who are, uh, characterized by entitlement, um, by being so self-absorbed that they do not have shame or empathy. These are people that are, you know, immoral and irresponsible in their relationships. And the difference is that this group of people, the people who have these set of, of uh, traits and characteristics in their behavior are becoming more and more common in our society. So, if you're going to look at like the difference here, it would be um, the difference between people who are miserable and go to seek help for the the dealing with the problems in their lives versus people who are perfectly happy with the way they're living, but they're making everyone around them miserable. And so when they end up um, seeking counseling, it's usually because someone forced them to be there. And I can also tell you right now, as we're talking about this, and as we're talking about how to recognize these behaviors, that there are going to be a number of you listening to this going, oh, wait, am I like that? And I can almost guarantee you that if you're concerned about it, you are probably not like that. Like that's, it, that's a great, it's important point. <laughs> and so, yes, we, sh- we are all sinners, right? We all do things that we shouldn't do. Um, we say things and hurt other people around us. We treat people in ways we shouldn't, and we're overly self-absorbed at times. Like, we all have these characteristics, or we all have these behaviors in our lives and things that we wish we had done differently, right? And the difference is um, recognizing that we're sinners and recognizing that we need to repent and treat people better and behave better versus being perfectly content with the way we're living and doing and, and treating other people, even though it's damaging and harmful. So, you know, we really, it's a very different um, sets of people that we're talking about here. Um, so I don't want you sitting at home going, oh no, you know, I, I yelled at my kids and now I know that I'm just a horrible person. Well, yeah, right. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. And I want you to be, I don't want to make people worried about themselves. Yeah, because all of us are sinners <laughs> and capable of being self-centered and um, some of the things that we're talking about. But we're talking about another level 
um, when we're talking about somebody that's narcissistic. Yeah, and what we're talking about, um, in Simon's book, he d defines personality. The quote is, a stable set of traits, preferred thinking, and behavior patterns that define our unique style of interaction over a wide variety of situations and for most of our lifetime. So this would be not just, you know, you occasionally are unkind to someone. This is a persistent pattern of the way someone treats others and considers others and behaves. So this is not, you know, just like any one of us is capable of doing something um, that would be wrong in a relationship that we can, you know, hurt our spouse. We can say some an unkind word. We can be cruel. And that doesn't really sum up how we usually are with them. It's an unusual but set of behaviors. It's not, it doesn't define us. But then there are other, other relationships and other types of behavior that really are abusive, right? That the, 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 the tenor of that relationship is an abusive relationship because of all of how someone is treated and, and the, the general way of behavior between people, right? So that's, what we're talking about here is that this is a personality that is rooted in, that is exemplified by, you know, these types of behaviors with others. Yeah. And they're often very manipulative and everything is about them. So everything is manipulated to be about what they want, I guess. Is, yeah. Exactly. And that manipulation and the lack of empathy and the entitlement and those those types of behaviors. Um, this is why uh, you know you see that the traditional understanding of psychology, the traditional therapies, strategies that deal well with people who are anxiety ridden or guilt ridden, they don't work as well uh, because they're not addressing the actual problem. Because it's not about insecurity, it's not about shame or fear or rejection. Even though someone who is narcissistic, someone who is character disturbed, the, the toxic malignant person may use these terms to talk about what they're doing, it's still part of that manipulation. And so they will manipulate those of us who want to think the best of others, those of us who want to think that everyone is like us, into thinking that really what they're doing is not so much bad, but they really are only just reacting to these things and you know, they want to, you to excuse their behavior so they continue manipulating you. Right. And they can learn how to behave certain ways to get the reaction that they want. Like I was talking about earlier, being able to fake empathy. And the other thing is there's differences among narcissists where, um, you know, you'll have some that really could care less what anyone thinks where some actually are more consumed with how other people see them. Yes. All right. And you can certainly, I'm sure we can all think of examples in, in public life, right? Where you'd say, oh, okay, well, that person really kind of fits classic narcissistic behavior. And this one, you know, we didn't realize it until people started talking about what they were like and how they were treating people behind the scenes, right? So you have, you know, and I'm thinking about celebrities and politicians that write right. out these stories. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the differences like you're talking about. Yeah. And that, that's actually a, re a really good point. Sometimes you will see with one of these people where on the outside, people will think, Oh, they're sweet. They're nice. 
you know, because they're able to display these behaviors, but then they close the door and they treat somebody really poorly. One of the things, if you read about like um, domestic violence mm -hmm. and, and, um, and men that are abusive to their wives and emotionally, sometimes to the outside world, they appear very charming. And, um, you know, where I've even heard, heard stories where people be like, really, that person is abusive because on, on the outside, they can be charming and seem likable and those sorts of things. But then behind closed doors, they're um, saying horrible things to their wife and their children. Yeah, and that's where, I mean, you get down to these are behavioral patterns that are that someone chooses to do, right? So someone who is choosing to to treat their, their spouse or their children or one child over another child even in an abusive way and then treating other people in kind and caring ways, you know, that, so this, you get this mixed picture of who they are and what they're doing. Um, but it is all about manipulating um, and getting away with what they want to do. You know, you bring up a good point that even if you see, have like a narcissistic parent, um, a lot of times they've seen patterns with narcissistic parents where you have that they have like a golden child that they, um, treat very differently and and then they have another child they treat horribly yep the child that can do no wrong uh, it, right. and it, that child then is used to to abuse the other child who is never right no matter what they do right so you have these dynamics of using people and that's you know, we'll get to that but using people as objects in that way um, is common in these behaviors so if we have someone in our lives like this, how does it affect us? And you may have these kind of relationships. They could be um, not necessarily, you know, family relationships that can be at work, a boss or a coworker. You could be in school and be, you know, another kid in school with you. Um, in the church, it could be anyone from, you know, the leadership or to just someone else in the church family with you, or, or just in wider societies so of friends or neighbors, you know, people that you run into, and then leaders in politics and such. So you, you have all aspects of your life where you may have someone who is a narcissist who is trying to manipulate you and to control you or to hurt you. And the way it affects you is it, you know, it affects your relationships, it affects um, how your work, it can affect how you're, uh, how you uh, worship and work with other people around you, how your friendships grow, how your family works, the dynamics, all of these areas of our life can be affected by people uh, who are uh, narcissistic or manipulative, toxic people. Yeah, especially sometimes because they're good at manipulation, you know, it's it's not uncommon to not even realize that you're being manipulated. They're they're that good at it. It can take years to figure out because a lot of it, and we'll talk about this with overt and covert, but a lot of it, if someone is has an agenda and they're trying to get what they want out of life and they're doing it by manipulating people around them, it may be for their best interest that you not be aware. They don't want you to know what they're doing. Right. And so you may just have like a sense of unease. A lot of us, you know, you ever met or worked with someone, you're like, that person just kind of sets me on edge or I'm not quite sure, you know, but something doesn't feel right. I always feel off after encounters with this person. 
you know, those are things that, um, you know, are, are kind of warning signs or gut instinct, red flags, you know. But even that, you may not even have those with someone. There are some people who are extremely good at, at manipulating others. Yeah, and I, so I think this is a great place to move into talking about overt and covert mm-hmm. narcissists because I think those covert narcissists are especially good at it. I mean, we can all probably think of someone, even if it's a politician, that is, you know, very obviously outwardly uh, a narcissist, bragging about themselves. Um, there, it's just it's very obvious their their narcissism <laughs> is not hidden at all. But um, then you have a covert narcissist, and I, I think that can be um, more difficult to to recognize, especially because I think covert narcissists can be especially great at manipulation. So, um, so with you might have somebody that's not a covert narcissist; they're they're overt and they're um, they're just obviously aggressive mm-hmm. um, with some of these behaviors where. Um, the covert narcissist is going to be a little bit more passive, maybe more passive aggressive. Um, and I'm, there are, there are covert narcissists that can be very charming and likable and people think they're sweet and, oh, look at that sweet little person over there. Um, but ultimately they're working to promote themselves. In fact, they can even put out there exactly how they hope people will see them. Mm-hmm. They may want people to see them as sweet and kind and empathetic and and be good at faking those things too because it gets them what they want yes exactly and it's all all of it is done to promote their agenda mm-hmm. and so um i think it's important to understand that it's not always so obvious and um i think covert narcissists can be especially great at manipulating to do that in a way that you don't, like you said, Rachel, it can take years to even realize that that's been what's um, done to you. You've been manipulated so well, you don't recognize it. Yeah. And, and you should never, if you do get to the point where you, you realize that this has happened, you know, you you should not feel um, like, you know, you know, oh, poor, or not feel like, oh, I was such a, an idiot. I'm the, I was duped, right? You know, what's wrong with me that I did all of us are are capable of being fooled, right? That's that's just the way life is. And, you know, if someone has been sinning against you and manipulating you, all the shame and guilt really is on them for that. That's not your, your fault. Um, and especially because, and this is where, you know, you do see a lot of, of these types of behaviors that are, people with these types of behaviors do end up drawn to um, uh, religious organizations, so churches, parachurch, you know, whatever in those circles, because, you know, we tend to believe in um, second chances, and we want people, we want to see the best in other people, and we want to be forgiving, and we want to be welcoming, and those are good things that we should be that way, but people will take advantage of those behaviors because we are tenderhearted and I would rather be tenderhearted than not. So I'm not saying we shouldn't be, but just just to be aware that those are things that will draw people that want to um, want to manipulate others. So what are some of the behavior patterns? I know, um, you know, we talked about aggression, but even lying. Lying is one of the biggest ones. And what's amazing to me is that it's not just 
it, I would say not just the line that we're all familiar with, right? The, you know, if you're a kid and you didn't do your homework and you don't want to tell your parents, right? We're all familiar with the kind of shading the truth to keep out of trouble kind of line. You know what I'm talking about? Like that, that kind of, not that saying, not excusing it, it's not good, but we've all done that kind of, yeah, I don't really want to tell them and I'm hoping this goes away. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the, the kind of line that we're talking about is beyond that, it's, it's part of image management, but even beyond that, it's many times it's lying when the truth would do just as good. Yes, that is so important. Like, why did you lie about that? <laughs> why? Because, right? And it is. It's why? Because. And so it's very frustrating when you're dealing with someone because when someone is lying, you cannot trust them, right? You can't trust that what they tell you is the truth. And relationships are built on trusting each other. So lying really undermines that in our, uh, in any relationship. Um, Another would be minimizing, right? So if, so say you figured out that this person has lied to you and you go to them and say, you know, you lied to me about X, Y, and Z. And they'll say, well, I was just, or it was only, or it's not really that big a deal because, right? And so you get that instead of taking responsibility for what they've done and, be, and being up front, they begin to try to, um, minimize and rationalize what they've done. Um, yeah. Which is very frustrating <laughs> when you're trying to talk to somebody who is, um, when you realize that someone has been manipulating you or lying to you and you're trying to work, work it out or begin to talk to them about it, the answers and the responses that you get are very frustrating. Right. And, and they use that to play the victim. Right. Even. Right. So, in playing the victim, one of the things, one of the acronyms and the things you can read about is something called DARVO, which is deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. So again, it, it starts out with, you know, someone, this person has been lying to you or has been um, manipulating you, is doing something that is aggressive against you. And you go to them and say, you did this. And the first thing they do is, nope, didn't do it. Wasn't me. That's the denial. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then they go on the attack. Well, you know, you always do this kind of thing to me. So then they then reverse the victim and offender. So you have gone to them because they have sinned against you and they have now turned it around and they're making out that whatever it is, you're actually the problem. And you can see this tactic done all over the place um, in many different types of interactions. You can see it in... Um, online interactions, you can see it in articles, you may have experienced it in your life. Um, if you've seen it, you will recognize it with this description. I think that actually, one thing that plays into this too, is the lack of empathy. So even if they're like, yep, I got caught, I did this thing, even if it's something that they can't even deny, mm -hmm. you, you don't see contrition, there isn't um, empathy for having hurt you. You know, when you hurt your, you know, hurt someone that you love and you feel bad about it, there is none of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's because you're know, going into some of the rest of it. There's this sense of entitlement or superiority that they are owed things, that they're better than other people, that the rules don't apply to them in some ways. And so there's a lot of blaming of others. And like I said, treating people like objects and you get the manipulation and the image management where they're trying to look a certain way. And then absolutely a lack of empathy 
and a lack of repentance. And another thing you often see is a, is a lack of impulse control. So someone who is just very erratic in their behavior and you think, well, why did, why did they do that? Well, they don't have the impulse control or they don't exercise good impulse control. They don't, like George Simon talks about, they don't put on the brakes when they should to stop what they're doing. Um, and all of those behaviors end up in damaging relationships or in wreaking havoc on others. So what is gaslighting? Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's a term that comes from uh, a movie, a great movie, by the way, um, called uh, Gaslight, where a man convinces his wife, tries to be with his wife, that she is losing her mind. And one of the reasons that the gaslights play a, 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 a role in that, so I'm not going to spoil it. If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. Go watch it. Um, but so the idea is the term of trying to manipulate, and it's a type of emotional abuse. Um, it, it, the attempt is to make the person question reality. And so um, it, it can be, I saw an article that says it can be described in three different ways. That didn't happen. You imagined it. And are you crazy? All right. So the idea is they tell lies and then deny they did it, even if there's proof, or they wear you down, make you feel crazy, question it yourself. They accuse you of doing what they're actually doing, which is a type of projection, uh, accusing other people of lying when they're the ones doing it, for example. And then they also, there's also an attempt to convince other people that you're the problem, that you're the one who's crazy or you're the one who's, uh, the abuser, you know, this, or you're the one who's manipulating when you're not. So it, all of this serves to put you kind of on, uh, on your back foot. Like, so you're unsettled, you're unsure of yourself, you're unsure of what happened. And I mean, it, it seems odd to say that someone convince, can convince you that something you know happened didn't happen. But someone who is particularly good at gaslighting can actually convince you that you, you're, you misremembered or you misunderstood something when you didn't misremember. Yeah, and they can do it very strongly, too. Mm-hmm. Like if you remember something very, very clearly, they can, they're so good at manipulating, they can so strongly demand that's not what happened, that's not what was said, right. that you start questioning yourself, even if you're confident. Right. Yeah, and this is not, and to say again, these kinds of behaviors, anyone can be a victim of a manipulative, narcissistic person. It doesn't matter how, how smart, how... Um, how capable, how strong you are. Um, anyone can, can fall victim here. And again, it's not the fault of the victim. It is absolutely the fault of the manipulative narcissistic person. And it can be very wearing. It, it can. It really can make you question your insanity, um, trying to sort back through things and figure out what's truth and what's lies, trying to figure out, um, you know, what's going on and try to pinpoint the behavior, especially when you're dealing with covert attacks, trying to figure out what's happening and what's has, what has happened. Uh, it's very unsettling. And, you know, one of the things that um, George Simon talks about that I also appreciate in his book is that, you know, most of us who are uh, not this way, most of us who are people who are you know, generally aware of how we treat others and try to be kind and try to be appropriate and follow the rules. And, you know, that when we want to think the best of others 
and we want to think that other people are also like us, behaving, the, following the rules, behaving societal um, guidelines, and being kind to others, or at least want to be wanting to be kind to others. So that when we want to think the best of someone, it's really hard for us to say, you know, this person is actually doing this on purpose. And it is hard to come to that conclusion about someone. We don't want to believe it's possible. But I think especially for those of us who are believers, especially those of us who understand um, human nature and um, total depravity, how sin affects all parts of us, we should be willing to recognize that there are people who really do want to manipulate and hurt others. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't really care if they do. And it's disturbing. It should be disturbing to us to think that there are Mm -hmm. people that do. But, you know, we have to realize that there is, you know, a spectrum of behavior here that we're not talking necessarily about a Hitler or a Bundy or, you know, the sociopath, psychopath behavior, although there may also be those around us. You know, there are much more subtle forms of manipulation and uh, uh, toxic behavior that we'll see uh, in our everyday lives. So we wanted to kind of, because part of what we're talking about here is uh, abuse. One of the things we wanted to make sure that we say is, if you're somebody in an abusive marriage, you need to get help. And I think sometimes women that are in that situation have been manipulated so severely um, there's been so much gaslighting that they might not even realize it. Like Rachel talked about, sometimes it can take years. Um, But if you, you know, you're starting to work through this and you realize there's been abuse, um, get help. And get safe. Like that's, yes, you know, that's number one goal. And we're going to be talking about some things that you can do to respond to abusive or, um, manipulative people in your lives. But first and foremost, if you're concerned for your safety, get somewhere safe and get, you know, the, the type of help that can actually protect you. So you're looking at if, if it's criminal, you need to talk to the police. If it's legal and talk to lawyers or abuse hotlines, somebody who can actually step in and help you. Um, there are other types of relationships where we're not talking about where your, your safety is at risk where it's just dealing with difficult people around you, that these are some some tactics that you can use. Uh, but I wanted to make that very distinct in what we're talking about here. I don't want people who are in difficult or in abusive marriages to try to apply solutions to fix it because you could make it worse and get hurt. And I don't want that. Yeah. And that's really important to know that it can, if, if you're in that sort of relationship, it can get it can get worse and you could become unsafe. One of the things, there's a quote from Maya Angelou that I think is really helpful. And she says that when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And I think it is very important for us to trust our instincts. And that doesn't mean we're always right about someone. We can, someone can rub us the wrong way and we just need to, to work through that and get to know people better. But when someone, when you can tell that someone is manipulative, when someone is toxic, narcissistic, when they are using other people, and you can, you sh- you can often, um, you know, have a clue, an idea that this is going on, or once you do have a clue that it's going on, 
trust your instincts on that. And, um, then you can make some other decisions about how to, how to act. I think it's wise, if at all possible, to limit interaction and contact with someone who is manipulating or manipulative, someone who is toxic or narcissistic, um, as much as possible uh, to limit that contact. And that is not always possible. There are certain ways, especially if you work with someone or maybe it's your neighbor or it's extended family member, sometimes it's not possible to just never see them. And so there are some ways that you can and we'll talk about some ways that you can um, uh, set some boundaries and terms of engagement in a minute. One of the things I wanted to say, I know in some of the discussions in the group, in, in terms of setting boundaries, where sometimes there's a wrong view of what we are called to as Christians um, when it comes to love and things like that. But remember that setting boundaries can be a very wise thing to do. Absolutely. So it's it's not wrong to set boundaries and to protect yourself from these sorts of people. Right. We should always be willing to forgive people, especially when you're talking about someone who comes to you in, in true repentance and says, you know, I was wrong for you to do these things and please forgive me. You know, that's, we are to be willing to forgive others. But it is not, it's not right for us as Christians to, um, to just allow other people to harm us when they have no intention of stopping, right? And you know what I'm talking about. The yeah, it's it's not okay to just be a doormat. It's not okay to just say, you know, I have no boundaries, and you can do to me as you choose, right? That's that's not what we're called to, right? Um, you know, I put it in terms of, you know, it it's not love to allow someone to continue to sin against you. That's not a loving behavior with them. So, you know, good boundaries can be, you know, setting appropriate limits for someone's reach and interaction with you based on uh, your relationship, based on their behavior, and what's best for, for both of you. Because sometimes the best thing for someone else is to hear, I'm not going to let you treat me like that. And a term that you'll hear, um, I actually... In some pastoral counsel, mm-hmm. Ed, it's the first time I heard this term, which is gray rock. Um, do you want to explain what that sure. is? Sure, gray rock is is fascinating to do. When I read about it the first time, I was like, "Oh, wow!" Um, the idea behind gray rock is to be that that people who are narcissistic, especially, and talking about narcissistic and manipulative people, they they love the drama and the interaction. They want to one up you. They want to tell stories. They want to, you know, use you in ways. And so to be a gray rock is to be as boring and as non-interactive as a rock, right? So if you're in a conversation with someone who is narcissistic and, and they're trying to just tell you about, you know, this fabulous story about how they're the most fabulous person ever. And you just sit there and you listen to them, right? And so they talk and they tell their story. And you say, okay, right? That was fun. You know, thank you, right? You don't add anything. You don't question the story. You don't try to make, you know, you just like a rock, sit there. Okay. And so the idea is eventually you become so uninteresting to the narcissist that they take their attention elsewhere. And it can work. It can also help de-escalate. Like if they're always 
you know, trying to do, get more out of you or reactions out of you, that you're just not going to respond. Yeah, you're going to be just emotionally unresponsive because usually they're looking for certain responses. Right. And it's not ignoring them, right, which would also get feed the drama. It's just not being a source of drama for them. Right. It's the smile and nod, smile and nod. <laughs> um, but you can look up articles on Grey Rock, uh, which can be really helpful uh, as well. It, it is important to know that narcissists will often try to control how others see you, especially when you uh, cease to be manipulated. Right. When they can't control you, they will try to control how others see you. Yes. Yes. It's, it's pretty crazy if you've ever <laughs> seen this happen um, before. Because sometimes, especially if they're m- more covert narcissists, they'll, um, they won't like necessarily go to somebody and say, Oh, Sally is all of these things. They're, they're even manipulative in how they get others to view you a certain way. Right. Yeah. And the, the best thing I can say there is to, again, try not to feed the drama of it. Just recognize they're going to do it. And, you know, there are times when, you know, it's necessary to stand up and, and talk about good boundaries and, um, you know, set expectations and say, you know, you need to stop saying these things about me, right? Other times, the best thing to do is to let it go. And, you know, it's really hard not to defend yourself. Really, really hard not to defend yourself when you know someone is saying things about you that aren't true, or they're, you know, trying to change other people's opinion of you. But the best thing to remember is you can't control someone else's behavior. You can't control how someone else responds, but you can control yourself and your own behavior. And so if you can discipline yourself to um, continue to live your life and behave in a way that people won't believe it, that's the best thing that you can do. You know, one of the things I wanted to say is if you do have someone like this in your life, uh, maybe a close relationship, sometimes people have a parent like this or a spouse, um, there can be a lot of of hurt and when you realize it sometimes when it's taken years to understand this is what's going on um getting some good counseling can be really helpful yes absolutely in working through um uh the hurt that you've been through and the manipulation and and those sorts of things and being able to navigate um the relationship going forward you know sometimes it's somebody that is just simply a part of your life and um i think it can be helpful to have a good counselor to help you navigate those boundaries and it can really have an effect on you if this is a long-time relationship especially like a parent or spouse or something like that and uh, you know you could really have a lot of things that you need to work through um, i mean it can just have some long-term difficult effects and just things you have to work through. Yeah, that's good advice. You know, the other thing I'm just <laughs> going to say that I know we've we've talked about kind of nuthetic and biblical counseling not being something we especially like, but there are different kinds of counseling out there. Sometimes you can find a good psychologist that maybe you find one that is a Christian, but they are a psychologist and or a licensed you know, counselor might mm-hmm. right, but a licensed counselor is what we would recommend. Yeah. Um, 
I really appreciate mine. <laughs> yeah, uh, it can make um, make such a big difference. I know so many people that have um, benefited from that. I mean, because this this is abusive. If you have someone close in your life that is like this, that that long term relationship is an abusive relationship. And yeah, so I think the biggest things um, are awareness, learning what to look for and how to recognize manipulative narcissistic behavior, and then learning how to protect yourself and others around you. And you know, those are things, both research that you can do for yourself and then also with the help of uh, counseling to help protect you and others. And then, of course, as we said, if you're looking at, you know, you're, you're in physical danger then absolutely get the help that you need and we're going to put um in the in the episode notes the books that we mentioned by george simon we'll put a couple other resources in there there's actually really a lot of a lot of resources out there even just on youtube there um george simon even has some more recent interviews that i found helpful so uh, maybe i'll link some of those in the episode notes also excellent and you know one of the things i probably should mention this real quick and George Simon talks about this that there is hope <laughs> for um, someone like this but you can't force them to get help they they really have to um, recognize and desire those changes themselves um, obviously someone who's truly in the Lord has the Holy Spirit's help too but I, I think that that's a difficult thing but we can't make somebody a change if the if these are their patterns, they really do need some professional help, and they need to recognize that they need professional help and um, and be willing to put the work in. Mm. Yes, very good point. Um, well, I hope this was helpful. Um, I know there might be a lot of questions from what we talked about, and so um, we could definitely maybe um, address it on a question answer episode in the future or maybe another episode so you know feel free to email us at theologygals at gmail.com and definitely the the two books because rachel and i have both read the the two books that we mentioned i we would highly recommend those also and they are available on kindle too so um or you can purchase them so all right well thank you and we'll see you next week <laughs>